0: Hello so I've got an interesting subject on the podcast today and I know those of you with acne saw the title and clicked immediately on it because you want to find out potential hidden cause of acne and my guest is Melissa Gallico she is a former military intelligence officer Fulbright scholar and intelligence specialist at the FBI where she instructed classes for FBI analysts at Quantico and provided support for national security investigations. This doesn't sound like your typical podcast guest, does it? But she wrote a book called The Hidden Cause of Acne. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Um, Melissa's experience in her previous career um, led her to kind of be a health detective like myself and figure out why she was dealing with chronic acne Um, despite doing all of the right things so I'm going to give it away now because I want to talk to you about what the um, podcast is on so it's about fluoride so the fluoride acne connection some people are familiar with the perioral dermatitis fluoride connection and that is kind of a, a rash that can go around the mouth and people usually are aware that fluoride toothpaste can be a trigger but some people actually have chronic cystic acne as a result of fluoride exposure. Just bear in mind, I just want to preface this episode because I know a lot of you out there are desperate to heal your skin issues and definitely consider this as a factor if you haven't already and do a little bit of research and see if reducing fluoride for yourself helps. But you also need to be doing the basics and not overlooking other things like gut infections and hormone imbalances. So um, yeah, try and take a holistic approach to this and don't see this as like a quick fix because it might not be effective for you, but it might be. So this is why I put this information out there. But if this doesn't help to clear your skin, there are absolutely things out there that you probably haven't tried, even though you think you have. You've never um, investigated everything and I can guarantee that. So in this episode, we discussed how Melissa found out that fluoride was a trigger because it wouldn't be someone's first um suspect how common she thinks that fluoride triggered acne is why fluoride is even added to things like water and toothpaste what the supposed health benefits are what's the best way to know if acne is caused by fluoride or not and the process that you can go down to investigate this halogen so the iodine chlorine and fluoride connection and how this can affect our thyroid health and metabolism and how to support the detoxification of fluoride because it's something that can store in the body for a while, particularly in your bones. So let's get into the episode and learn about this interesting connection. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to chat all about the acne, skin, and fluoride connection with you today. Thanks so much for having me on the show could you start off by telling us a bit about your skin journey? So how you came to find out the fluoride, which not a lot of people would suspect, um, how you finally identified that as the culprit?
1: Sure. i never suspected fluoride either. And I don't think I would have figured it out if not for the The fact that I had to travel a lot for my job and for school, and I had the opportunity to live in a lot of different countries, a lot of different parts of the world that weren't fluoridated. And so growing up, you know, I had really bad cystic acne as a teen, and it only got worse into my 20s. So it wasn't like a thing where I had it as a teen and I outgrew it. I saw dermatologists who put me on very harsh prescriptions, you know, the creams, the Accutane, and a lot of those things did help my acne, but um, it never cleared it up completely. Whenever I went off the medication, I would, it would come right back even worse than it was before. And I often had really bad side effects from those medications. So um, it wasn't a real solution for me. Eventually, like when I hit around 30, I just decided, you know, I guess I just have to live with this. This is how my skin is. And, and that's when I I finally, um, I came back to the States and my skin was the worst it had ever been. And I was in my thirties. I was very depressed about it. And, um, I was just, uh, drinking glass of water and i was talking to my sister-in-law and I, I was telling her like i just don't know what it is you know i was really frustrated and i looked at the water and i just thought about the research that i had read that fluoride can cause perioral dermatitis which is kind of like acne you know but it's um it's a different a distinct condition but i knew that fluoride could cause that and i had gotten rid of my fluoride toothpaste um and um you know it, it didn't it. It didn't clear up so I thought well maybe ingesting the fluoride could do the same thing you know it wasn't that big of a leap in logic for me and it was very easy to test it because all I had to do was stop drinking fluoridated water I knew that my water was fluoridated um, so I just switched my water source and right away I saw a dramatic improvement it didn't clear up completely but it was a big enough of an improvement to me that said I'm on something so my My skin um, was a lot better and then I'd get a flare up and I would think, oh, it must be something other than fluoride, but I would look at what I ate and do a little research and I realized that the foods that I was eating also contained a lot of fluoride. So through this trial and error process over about a year, I was able to completely eliminate the major sources of fluoride from my diet and my skin completely cleared up as well. So for me, that was the only trigger that was why I had cystic acne so that's how I came to that Um, and now looking back through the literature the acne literature on acne and also on fluoride it makes so much sense to me um, that this that is exactly what was going
0: on with my skin so interesting let's start with the basics so what is fluoride and how does it cause acne like what are the mechanisms behind that so
1: fluoride is an element on the periodic table a lot of people say it's a mineral but it's actually a halogen kind of like chlorine bromine iodine fluoride those are the main halogens so it it is often bound with minerals and that's why they call it a mineral and also the idea of fluoride as a mineral makes it sound healthy but it's it's not it can be bound with a lot of different things and it's it's a very distinct thing Uh, obviously chlorine You know sometimes it can be very safe sometimes it can be very deadly you know chlorine gas so the same thing um, with fluoride it is highly reactive element Um, and it's found in nature um, in usually it's bound up with rocks deep in the earth's crust they add it to water because dentists think it helps prevent cavities Um, a lot of people are sensitive to it and they don't know it because it's not something that has uh, really been studied very thoroughly, and um, and there's a lot of political <laughs> reasons for that. Um, but so that's why they put it in the water supply. Um, the mechanism for causing acne, you know, I'm not really 100 percent sure that we would have to do a lot of clinical studies on that to really understand what's going on in the body with fluoride. Um, but I suspect it has something to do with the lymphatic system and the way that our body processes fat soluble. Um, toxins like fluoride, um, I, I could definitely tell the pattern of my acne had to like follow the, the main vessels of the lymphatic system. And I knew like my lymphatic system was trying to drain it from my body. I, would, I went for um, lymphatic drainage therapy, and that really helped with my acne. Didn't clear it up because I was still consuming fluoride, but it, it really helped to um, drain that fluid that where it was all getting congested right here you look at maps of the lymphatic system there's all of these vessels like draining down down your neck and through your head and, and i um it definitely has something to do with that so i go into a little more detail in my book my theory of what how i think it happens but i don't really know for sure because we haven't really done a lot of research on it
0: yeah and who's gonna fund a research study to figure this out you're, you're right they're all trying to do the opposite and promote the health benefits of fluoride um, so for the people who are were, who were listening on audio, you're talking about the neck, um, the jawline, like the sides of the face. Is that correct in terms of like the lymphatic congestion?
1: Yes. Um, so for me, the the patterns of acne were very similar to these like main lymphatic pathways. I would mostly, it would start off around my chin and my jawline, um, but then extending down the sides of my neck, even down the back of my neck um, and when it was really severe it would be like in my ears even and you know around my forehead all over my face but those were the, like the main pathways that it was following and sometimes i could tell you know i would get a breakout on my chin and then 2 weeks later it would be down my neck you know like it was kind of following this path and then it would take a full month to really get out of my system so it wasn't an instantaneous thing the, the reaction was pretty instantaneous i would consume fluoride and within a matter of hours, I would have these cystic breakouts along my jawline. But then to clear it up, it would take usually around a month. You know, I'd have that main um, breakout. And then a couple of weeks later, a smaller one further
0: down the lymphatic pathway. So would, have you found that the breakouts tend to be those deep under the surface ones? Or what about blackheads, whiteheads? Would they be in any way linked to fluoride as well?
1: Mine were usually... You know, cystic acne so it was coming out from from within um, but I would often get whiteheads that that's primarily what it was um, eventually it would it would come to a head yeah. so uh, those were the two main types just cystic acne without
0: that and then the whitehead so when you did travel for work or school or vacation did your skin like completely clear up or was it just a noticeable improvement
1: completely
0: clear up. And this is when I
1: lived abroad. You know, I, I lived in Senegal for about a year, completely cleared up my skin. And I was still, I think I was 19 at that time. I turned 20. So it was, you know, it was really amazing to me. I, and it was really bad when I left. I had just been to the dermatologist and that's when I went on Accutane. And um, when I got over there, I saw all the label on the bottle said, don't consume, you know, if you're out in the sun. <laughs> and I was like, I like live right like on the edge of the Sahara how am I going to avoid the sun and I stopped taking it and my skin was clear all year and at the time I was like wow it must have been the Accutane fixed my skin and now I don't get acne anymore this is great and as soon as I came back to the states it broke out you know I had the same acne as I had before Um, and then I lived in Scotland and again my skin cleared up and this was now in my 30s and I thought well, I don't have acne, I'm in my 30s, this is great, I finally outgrew it. I'd come back to the States just to visit for a week and my skin would break out. So it was very clear to me it was something here, something that I was running into in my environment here in the U.S. that I didn't experience in Scotland or Senegal or when I lived in the Caribbean, you know, so I would look back and be like, what, what did those places have in common? And the worst places where I lived in Newport, Rhode Island, I lived in Jacksonville, I lived in Delray Beach, um, and I looked up, when I went back and looked up the water supply in Newport, Rhode Island, there was actually an advisory on their website saying, oh, sorry, we added too much fluoride to the water again. You should not drink it for a while. Like nobody goes to the website to read those. And I was thinking, how long has that been going on? Because my skin went crazy when I lived there. And then Delray, I went to the water supply there, and it was—they had it was over one parts per million, which the U.S. doesn't even recommend anymore. They've since lowered it because too many children were developing adverse um, reactions, which we could get into to um, excess fluoride exposure. So it was a very high amount in water in Delray, and that made sense to me that my skin was the worst in those
0: two places. So for the, those people listening who may have noticed on vacation or when they've lived in a particular area, they might think, oh, it's maybe the sun or the reduction of stress that's helping my skin. Um, but it's, it's good now to know that it could also be something like the water supply. Um, really interesting. Yeah, that is a big trigger for a lot of people to think about that it
1: could be fluoride. I get a lot of people who, who read that about me or they saw it in the book description and they're like, oh, that got my attention because that happened to me. When I traveled or when I used to live here, even different cities within the U.S., you know, some are fluoridated, some are not, and some have different levels of fluoride. So maybe your skin was really bad in this place because they added so much fluoride or they added a more uh, caustic type of fluoride to the water, whereas in this place it wasn't as bad because it was just lower, you know, so it could be something like that. A lot of people notice it when they go to college. Either their skin breaks out at college or it clears up at college and usually it breaks out because a lot of times they're like moving into a big city or something to go to school and that's where they tend to put a lot of fluoride in the water Um, and they think it's from stress you know which makes sense but then when you add the fluoride factor into it, it that is also a big factor
0: do you have any statistics as to how many of the the u.s states have fluoridated water and why is it that some states choose not to
1: so in the U.S., it's usually left up to the local town. Um, some states mandate it, like Kentucky, um, but other states, you know, they, you know, the CDC just recommends it nationally, but it's up to the local towns to decide if they want to do it for the most part uh, because it takes money to add fluoride to the water and, um, and some of the towns just don't want it. But in the U.S., it's about two-thirds of public water supplies are artificially fluoridated Um, in Canada it's a lot less I think it's about one-third and they're actually going in the opposite direction where people are saying we don't want this anymore and they're getting rid of it um, a little faster than we are here in the U.S.
0: What are some of the negative apart from acne and negative risks of excessive exposure I think people may have heard of the is it fluorosis of the teeth Um, anything else that people need to be aware of
1: Yeah, so dental fluorosis um, is the main indicator. That's the one that even the government can't deny that because everybody can see it is right there on the teeth. So they do admit that fluorosis is um, a side effect of excess fluoride Some dentists say, oh, isn't it lovely? Like it's a discoloring of the tooth enamel, Um, but I've I've read that where they're like, oh, these wonderful like sparkling (laughs) spots on your teeth, you know, just trying to spin it to like, oh, is it really that bad? Um, But it can be very severe when, when you're, it happens when you're consuming too much fluoride during childhood while the teeth are forming. It's a permanent condition. Um, but it, it develops in that phase. So I did have very light dental fluorosis because when I was a child, I had well water, but my dentist gave my parents fluoride supplements and it was too much for me. Um, looking back, I, I developed really severe nosebleeds, just random nosebleeds at the time. And nobody put it together, but I'm thinking I was probably sensitive to fluoride way back then. And I got dental fluorosis and my parents asked, you know, what are these spots on her teeth? And um, the pediatrician didn't know, <laughs> so now I, I hope more people know. Like this is a very common side effect of excess fluoride exposure in childhood. Um, but then they weren't told, um, and that's actually why the CDC lowered the recommendation for fluoride in water because in some studies, it's like over sixty percent of children have dental fluorosis, meaning they have excess fluoride exposure. Um, they call it a cosmetic condition but um it's it's clearly just one sign that the body is experiencing fluoride toxicity Um, right now there's a lot of research and it's you might have seen it in the news there's actually a big lawsuit going on where the Fluoride action network and some other consumer health organizations are suing the epa for not enforcing the toxic substances control act with regard to fluoride they haven't they're not following the rules with the toxicity. Um, And and that lawsuit is centered around all all of this new research about the neurotoxicity of fluoride, that fluoride is a neurotoxin on par with lead. That's what the studies show, that when pregnant women consume fluoride, um, it has a negative effect on the offspring, uh, on the IQ of their offspring. Um, And it's significant, it's several, points of IQ, which um, for one person, you know, could mean a major reduction in income over their lifespan. But if you look at it on a societal level, when the whole society is having this reduction in their IQ, um, it really has a has a big effect on the country as a whole. So it it is very significant when you're exposing so much of the population to this neurotoxin. So that's another side effect that people want to be aware of, especially um, if you're pregnant or you have have young children, you do not want them to be consuming fluoride. Um, and then another big issue is with, uh, the thyroid, um, fluoride is a, um, uh, thyroid suppressant. So uh, if you know, a lot of people have, um, low thyroid, hypothyroidism and uh, fluoride, it can contribute to that or exasper- exacerbate that. And then even for the older, um, community, older people with arthritis, you know, over decades, fluoride accumulates in your bone and it bones and can cause a lot of issues with bone and joint health. Um, so, and it's something that we are not tracking well in the U.S. because of this blind spot to the negative side effects of fluoride, but how many of these cases of, you know, maybe it's mild arthritis or maybe it's, you know, that could be skeletal, early signs of skeletal fluorosis, which is a very well-documented condition. When you have too much fluoride, um, it really affects your bones. In certain parts of the country or certain parts of the world where they just have naturally super high amounts of fluoride in the water, there's a lot of skeletal deformities. People have a hard time um, with joint issues and bone issues. But, and we don't have that in the US. We don't have severe skeletal fluorosis, but maybe a lot of the things that we think are arthritis are actually caused by fluoride. And it's just something we're not tracking right now
0: if you think of the teeth they are bones so if you're getting that visible change to your tooth enamel then you can only imagine what's going on in the, bo- the skeletal system and the organs um it really is exactly. scary. Stuff.
1: exactly when they've done measurements of fluoride in the human body it's not just in the teeth and it's not just in the bones it's found throughout the body the highest amounts of fluoride ever found in the human body we're in the pineal gland in the brain you know do we really want fluoride accumulating in our brain and and so many people have sleep have issues with sleep um so that is another thing that fluoride could be playing a major role in that we're not paying attention to
0: i was going to ask it's a bit of a controversial one and it's more of the um kind of natural holistic world who's saying that oh it's the government adding fluoride to the water to calcify the pineal gland and shut down consciousness is there any truth to that so obviously it is affecting the pineal gland but um what are your thoughts yeah
1: that's <laughs> such a great um question it, it is really i mean it is quite a good question something to think
0: but, about so i've got what's that something to think about
1: what yeah effects? well i i've gone very deep into how did we get here? How did this happen? Why is the government putting fluoride in the water? I used to be a government worker, you know, that was my job. I was an FBI analyst and that's part of the reason why I I traveled so much. Um, So I kind of know what it is like to to work for the the U.S. federal government. Um, And really at the heart of why they put fluoride in the water, it's a pollution scandal because fluoride is the leading form of air pollution in the United States and and in other countries as well. And that's because it's a common element deep in the earth's crust. And when we started industrialization with these large-scale mining operations to get aluminum, to get phosphorus that we use for fertilizer, to get all of these things that we use in our modern life, fluoride was a byproduct. You know, we didn't need all the fluoride, it would just during the process during the manufacturing process, it would be released into the atmosphere. And that was where the pollution, you know, um, what made pollution so toxic was the fluoride in our air pollution. So I have a podcast, uh, it's called the F pollution podcast. It's a little play on the fluoride chemistry, <laughs> but also <laughs> meaning there. Um, so the F pollution podcast, and I go into detail of the pollution, story behind fluoridation, how these polluters, Um, influenced the science on fluoride. They knew dentists were interested in fluoride because it caused dental fluorosis. They figured that out. Um, And it was actually industry that put that together. They knew that fluoride that they were releasing into the water, into the air, was causing dental fluorosis. They started working with dentists and, um, and they started really manipulating the science. They had a very overstated role in the science on fluoride in the United States because there was so much money involved um, in, in fluoride manufacturing, in the manufacturing processes that caused fluoride air pollution. Um, so the podcast goes into it in more detail, but the government really isn't trying to poison us in intentionally. Um, but they were manipulated by corporate interest and by polluters who were, um, you know, had had a billion, their entire industry was at stake uh, over how the U.S. would handle fluoride air pollution. And they definitely won out <laughs> because we do restrict fluoride air pollution now um, and they have to scrub it from their smokestacks and then they sell it to the water suppliers. So right now in the United States, over 90% of the fluoride comes from the phosphate fertilizer industry in Florida. Um, they just buy it directly from them. It's not filtered. Um, they just, instead of releasing it to the atmosphere where they were sued because it killed all of the surrounding cattle and everything that was nearby, um, they sell it to local water providers. So they don't have to pay to get rid
0: of this hazmat. They can just you know, receive money and sell it and put it in the water. So how do we know if our particular area or state is fluoridated?
1: Well, you would call your local water provider and ask them, um, are they adding fluoride to the water? How much are they adding? Ask them where they get it from. That's always interesting um, to to hear that it's literally coming from uh, the fertilizer industry. Um, And they're required by law to issue an annual water quality report usually you can find them online so if you just look up the name of your town and water quality report or consumer confidence report sometimes that's what they're called um, you can find the report and you can look up the the level of fluoride Um, right now the cdc recommends 0.7 parts per million fluoride in the public water supply Uh, natural levels of Surface water is 0.05, so it's 14 times higher than what you would just normally find in nature. It's it's a lot more fluoride. Um, so you want something if it says ND, not detected, that's great. <laughs> or um, if it doesn't have fluoride on there, that usually means they're not adding it and they don't have to test for it because they don't have it. Um, but if you see something 0.7 or above, then it's probably artificial or maybe some places have naturally occurring fluoride at really high levels. Um, and I also had acne from from drinking that kind of water too so it it has a similar side effect in the body
0: is there anything else in regular tap water that can be an acne trigger or health hazard
1: oh yes there's a lot of things in, in your tap water that could be bad for your health i'm sure you've gone into this on your podcast but things like pharmaceutical residues are in our tap water um chlorine, you know, a lot of people don't want to be drinking chlorine chloramines that they're putting in the water, which are even harder to filter out. So there's all kinds of reasons to filter your water and fluoride is just another one of them. Um, It's really, it's kind of difficult to filter fluoride from water because it's, it's not going to be removed with like a, a carbon filter or a lot of the things that we tend to rely on the easy, quick fixes for filtering. For filtering water Um, so with fluoride you'll need a steam distiller or um, a reverse osmosis is really good at removing fluoride Um, there's a few different ways but something more than like a Brita Brita that's a common one here but it doesn't remove fluoride
0: are there any particular brands that you you like for water filters and the one that I use is the Berkey and there is like the additional fluoride filter that you can you can purchase on top of the regular one do you feel like that is a good option? Berkey is a great filter um, some people are too sensitive to fluoride for that
1: one to rely on Berkey um, it uses activated alumina for their fluoride and um, I've heard from a lot of people who still have breakouts with filters that you use, use activated alumina and then they switch to a different kind and it clears up so um, and then I've also heard from people who they test their Berkey for fluoride um, and and it doesn't remove as much as they, as either it did in the beginning, you know, they lose their ability over time um, or sometimes the filters, they're just, I don't know if they're not installed correctly, but they're not removing as much as they say it does. Um, so when we looked at the fine print on the Berkey, it was kind of like, you know, we reduced it. I think they claim like over 90, well over 90% of fluoride um but that was starting at like 30 parts per million which is something you will never see in your public water supply it's going to be one part per million or less so it's maybe at those fine levels that it doesn't remove really as much um, as you would need if you're really sensitive to it
0: and then with something like the reverse osmosis systems they do kind of strip the water of pretty much everything do you then add minerals and things back in and if so do you have like a product that you like there's
1: a lot of ways to remineralize your water. I don't have any specific products. Um, my, I have well water, but I do have a reverse osmosis system on it, and it has a remineralizer in it, so it sends it through the remineralizer twice, once before going to the tank and once after. So that's a way to add some minerals back into your water. Um, and then a lot of people use the drops, um, concentrated mineral drops, or even just adding things like a little, a couple drops of Apple cider vinegar or just something that is going to alkalize it a little bit um, will really change the you know add some minerals to your water Um, I'm not too concerned about it because I know there's some I don't I really haven't seen any research that says it's it's bad for you to drink reverse osmosis water I know that with um, pipes going like through a house if you have a whole house reverse osmosis system the pipes in your water supply won't last as long because those that water running through it is leaching the minerals but with our body there's so much more running through those pipes you know than just water you have all of your food which has has is where we get the bulk of our minerals so i'm not sure you would see the same degradation um, that you would see in a house where water is the only thing running through those pipes so i'm not really sure that reverse osmosis is bad for people but I do have the remineralizers just in case, you know, I'm not going to be the guinea pig that tests
0: that. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my approach. To that. And then with diet. So obviously um, we've just mentioned water, but could you tell us a bit more about hidden sources of fluoride in our diet? Yes, this
1: was really hard for me to figure out, and this is why when I thought, you know, maybe I'm not, maybe it's not fluoride, maybe it's something else, because I had no idea all of these ways that fluoride works its way into the food supply. The big ones for me in the beginning, um, obviously anything made with fluoridated water, so like drinks, like if if you're drinking a soda and it's made with fluoridated water, it will contain fluoride, so you have to cut those things out. Pasta made with fluoridated water rice made with fluoridated water vegetables cooked in fluoridated water, so all of those things just switching the water makes them um, not you know a, an insignificant source of fluoride but then where it really gets tricky is things like like boxed breakfast cereal if that is manufactured in a plant that has fluoridated water, the fluoride actually concentrates in the cereal so it can be very high you wouldn't expect it it's a dry product but it still could be very high in fluoride, so um, figuring that out. Another one was chicken products. So I thought I had chicken soup. I hadn't had it in a long time because I didn't know, you know, how they what water they used. I finally went to a non-fluoridated neighborhood. I ordered soup, and I had a really bad reaction. I was like, I know this water doesn't contain fluoride. Why can't I have the soup? And I learned that. Chickens, like humans, uh, collect fluoride in their bones. It, it's, it's stored in their bones. So, if you're making soup out of chicken bones and they were con- exposed to high amounts of fluoride, which a lot of them are because it's a common pesticide. So, they put it on poultry feed. Um, they could be exposed to it through their water, but it ends up in their bones. And chicken bones are a very high source of fluoride. So, if you're making um, soup, like bone broth, or Um, like lunch meats, the way they process them, a lot of times there's little shards of bone in there. So lunch meat, chicken lunch meat is very high in fluoride ground chicken, chicken sausages, like all those kinds of things. So that, I I had a chicken hot dog. Oh, it was such, (laughs) such a bad reaction. So that was a learning process, just cutting out all of those chicken products. If you're getting truly organic chicken and they weren't given fluoridated water, then you can I didn't. I don't have a reaction to that kind of chicken, uh, but it took me a long time to find it. I actually had to go to find a farmer who raised chickens the way that I, you know, I needed. Um, so that was a tough one. The pesticide issue can be really confusing. Um, here in the states, fluoride-based pesticide is used mostly on grapes and raisins. So just avoiding those things um, really cuts down on it. But I do try to buy organic as much as possible because it's not approved for use on organic crops. So um, but grape juice, California wine, those things can be really high in fluoride because of the pesticides that they use. And then another one um, that people don't think of is tea, black tea. And that is just because tea is one of the strange plants that just accumulates fluoride from the soil so it's not really a pesticide issue it's not from the water it's just tea grown in soil that has fluoride in it will be very high in fluoride Um, so just limiting you know getting getting rid of black tea in my diet Um, even green tea I I don't drink that either I just drink herbal tea Um, so those were the ones that really took me over many months to like root all of that out of my diet
0: the dried cereal doesn't surprise me because i think a few years ago they found a ton of glyphosate in something like cereals. um so yeah makes sense with that one and you can think of all these people trying to eat healthy and clear their skin by drinking green tea and making bone broth if they're using fluoridated water on top of that then it i can understand why it can be like hyper accumulate um are people just like more sensitive than than others is it like a genetic reason?
1: I don't know the reason. I wonder for myself, you know, because I had those fluoride pills when I was a child. Maybe I had, it was too big a dose for me. I'm sure I was a tiny little thing and they probably had one size fit all supplement. So maybe overexposure in childhood. Um, there's also, excuse me. No. <laughs> there's also um, a lot of, uh, Pharmaceuticals contain fluoride, so I'm seeing a lot of people. Right now, I have a private Facebook group for people suffering from fluoride sensitivity, or just anyone who wants to learn about, you know, limiting fluoride from their diet. I'm seeing more people who have developed a sensitivity because of fluoride that they were exposed to in antibiotics. So that's another thing where um, you can really develop a sensitivity from from being exposed to it that way. Um, And then a lot of the medications that are very common, like Prozac, you know, these things are fluoride based. So I I expect you could probably develop a sensitivity through that kind of exposure as well.
0: And am I right? There's a medication, I think it's an antibiotic, fluoroquinone. Is that in any way related to fluoride? Yes, you're exactly right. When okay. you see that um,
1: fluoro, that's usually fluoride. And you can go on Wikipedia and it has the little like um, chemistry chart for like exactly what elements make up that met- that pharmaceutical. And if you see F anywhere in there, that's the fluoride um, molecule.
0: And does organic food therefore contain less if there's less pesticide? Um, used in that but obviously there's the cross-contamination so how do you deal with that
1: yeah so I definitely try to buy organic as much as possible Um, not all things will be fluoride free just because they're organic so think about um, like if it had water in it because the fluoride in water isn't really an issue with regard to organic labeling so you could have a drink like oh this is an organic drink but it was made with fluoridated water so then you know it will still contain fluoride so it really helps to have an understanding of where the fluoride in the food comes from and then you know how to choose a product that is fluoride free just by asking like oh do you filter fluoride from your water you know what kind of water do you use or how is this processed and the example I give is like beer and wine they both can contain fluoride or they could be fluoride free but the um, the fluoride in wine comes from a pesticide, so you want to make sure that the wine you're drinking didn't use that pesticide. Um, whereas the fluoride in beer comes from the water, so you want to make sure that the water was fluoride free. So it's just like once you understand that, you can very easily find sources that don't contain fluoride.
0: And do you find that when you like reduce your there's like a term like toxic burden? So if you're having fluoride every single meal, drinking liters of fluoridated water every day, and then you reduce that for a period of time, you tend to find that you're less reactive when you do get exposed, or do you break out just as easily? Um, since you figured all this out?
1: Yeah. So the people in the Facebook group have talked about this, and some people think that they're more sensitive. They're like, "Man, I just have one little thing, and I break out." I'm pretty much I I am the same. I, I feel like I, I I don't really run into it much anymore because I know how to choose things. And right now, you know, not going out to eat or anything, I really don't have any issues with, um, with it. But the last time I was exposed to something, maybe last year, I did get a breakout right away. So I think um, I think maybe it's just it depends on the person. But I really haven't noticed being less sensitive to fluoride since I've cut it out of my, um, my diet.
0: And do some people like have a fluoride allergy or is it more like a, a sensitivity for most people?
1: I don't think it's an allergy. I haven't really read of people having that classic um, al- allergic reaction to fluoride. Um, I think it's more, more of a sensitivity.
0: And are, are there any other symptoms apart from skin reaction, like in the moment, um, that could give an insight yes, as to whether uh, you're reacting to something? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So some people in the group, most of the
1: people in my Facebook group are there because of acne, but there are a lot of people who get migraines that can, fluoride can be a trigger for migraines. And so some of the best people in the group for rooting out sources of fluoride are people who have that migraine reaction. Like they know exactly like I I can't eat that, that will cause a migraine. Um, And then hives is another one like chronic hives could be triggered by fluoride as well so there are those types of immediate reactions um there was a allergist george Waldbot, who was a very well-known allergist back in the 60s ish um and he studied it pretty closely because that was right when the u.s was being fluoridated and he noticed well, all these patients having these reactions Um, So some people had gastrointestinal reactions to fluoride, you know, they they would drink a glass of water and just like feel really uh, sick to their stomach. Um, So he he documented all kinds of those types of reactions. Um, And and it was usually skin or gastrointestinal.
0: So what would your like step by step process be? Would it to be um, like go cold turkey, remove all sources and then um, just try and find alternatives? Or would it be starting with toothpaste see if your skin improves from that alone considering the water filter before you like make too many drastic changes
1: yeah i think it's always easiest to start with toothpaste and water Um, i have a 30 day fluoride free challenge it's just like a email thing where you can sign up on my website and Um, It just focuses on changing your water, like drinking fluoride-free water for 30 days. But then during that time, I'll send out an email every day that says, like, here's a source of fluoride, like maybe this is in your diet. And then people can, like, start thinking about all of the other sources. So I think the water and the toothpaste usually is the main source for people. Not everyone, but for most people, those are the main sources of fluoride. And just cutting those out, you can tell, like, is your skin better? You know, do you feel better? Are you getting less, um, fewer, new breakouts? And, um, and then that can be the motivation to like, okay, I'm gonna figure out you know, what, what's the next biggest trigger and then reducing that. If you're drinking a lot of bone broth, maybe just cut that out for a month and see if your skin clears up and then, then you know like, oh, okay, that must've had a lot of fluoride in it um, and you can look for, for some, something else to, to replace that with.
0: And I know you're probably biased because this is like all you work with, and all of these people in your Facebook group. Um, but how much of a problem do you think fluoride sensitivity is in triggering acne, as opposed to more common things that we hear about, hormone imbalances, gluten intolerance? Um, I know you can't give like an exact, but when when you started your health journey, had you already worked on some of like the basic things? Oh yeah. Yes, I, I mean, I had tried everything. I
1: had been 20 years of <laughs> cystic acne, so I tried everything I, I could think of, everything I read about. I read about, um, you know, the paleo diet, and that was a big one for me. Um, but then looking back through it through the lens of fluoride, it really makes me wonder how many of the pe- how much of it really was caused by fluoride, and we just didn't know. Uh, So in my book, I go back through the research, especially the paleo research, because they came the closest, I think, to figuring out fluoride, you know, because they were like, oh, acne is a disease of Western civilization. Look at these groups, you know, they don't have it. And so I went back and analyzed that same research and showed that these groups are not consuming fluoride. And when they started consuming fluoride is when they started developing acne in, um, so, I just think we, there's, there's obviously not enough, there's no research <laughs> at all on it. We, we really need to study it to understand what percentage of acne is caused by fluoride. I s- suspect it's, it's high because, um, so when I figured out my condition, I wrote this little free PDF guide and put it on the internet, like if anybody has this weird fluoride reaction, here's how you could handle it. And I just started hearing from so many people who cleared up their skin and I knew that not a lot of people were even reading it, you know, because I didn't know how to get it out there. Um, so I thought, you know, I got this email from a woman said, your book saved my life. I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to write an actual book, you know, and put it on Amazon. And that way people who are looking for a cure can find it. So I did that. I just self-published, put it on Amazon. And, again, I, I got so many, like it was amazing just to see these reviews coming in from people who had had acne for 30 years, 40 years, um, I've heard from people who had it over 50 years, you know? And then they finally cleared it up by eliminating fluoride. And of course, by then there were all kinds of other health issues as well um, caused by by fluoride. So um, I don't know, I have no idea what percentage of acne is caused by fluoride, but it's really interesting to go back, look at the literature, look at the history of acne in the US. It, it wasn't a documented condition before the 50s. You know, people had it. But it wasn't like a plague. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like so common that they studied it until the 50s when we started putting fluoride in the water supply. And that's when, oh, they thought acne is a teenage thing. Now it's not a teenage thing anymore. It's a, adults, especially women, have acne. And that's because, you know, for generations we've been exposed to fluoride. So it's not just like, yeah, in the 50s it probably was mostly teenagers because they were the ones. Being exposed to it during that time period, but now we've all been exposed to it for our, you know, 30s, 40s, 50, 60 years. And um, so I don't know. It's a great question, and I hope someone will help to answer it someday with some good clinical research.
0: And it is one of the biggest problems that the listeners have and my clients have. So um, I know that they're just going to really benefit from this information. But I can, I've, when I've mentioned this to clients, um recently that it could be a connection they were like oh my god what do i say to my dentist like he's forcing me to use fluoridated um toothpaste so can you give any like words of advice or like a a reason that they can say to like back up back themselves up
1: well that's very tricky My, my best advice is to find a fluoride free dentist there are a lot of them and they're really good because they don't use fluoride as a crutch and they really um, take the time. They're, they're very knowledgeable about what it is really causing cavities, what are the better ways to prevent them and to treat them. Um, so you can find fluoride-free dentists. Um, looking up holistic dentists in your area. Um, I really like IOMT. Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. They have a great website for finding fluoride-free dentists, and they do a lot of work to help educate the public and other dentists about the negative health effects of fluoride. So that's my best advice, but a lot of people really like their dentists, and they don't want to switch, or maybe you don't have access to a fluoride-free dentist near you. Um, So, I mean, you can use whatever toothpaste you want, and you don't have to tell your dentist. (laughs) So that's one thing. Some people just like try to keep quiet and just, you know sure okay sure yeah okay thanks for the little sample, <laughs> and then do whatever you want you know get by get your cleanings in and um but uh, and then other people you know want to have that conversation so there are um IAOMT on their website they have um a great some great resources for that um and You know, it explains the the different science, uh, scientific studies that you could share with your dentist or just starting the dialogue and and showing them the recent research. A lot of them don't know about the neurotoxicity research that has come out. And and all they're told is from dental school is that fluoride is great and you need to defend it. (laughs) You you need to get out there and tell your city council people that they need to
0: put it in the water and they're not told about um, the negative side effects of it. I'm guessing a lot of the fluoride-free dentists are also mercury-free dentists, which is great. So the holistic or biological dentists are sometimes known as um, because if you look at the health risks and suicide rates and um, fertility issues that dental assistants and dentists have, it's like one of the worst industries to work in. So in some part could be potentially due to the fluoride. Combine that with the mercury. It's of a recipe for disaster exactly exactly so it it was so
1: um i was so happy when there was a fluoride free dentist in my town i just found him last year i was driving an hour away and um so there there's there's more and more
0: of them now and it's really nice when you can uh, connect with one and is there anything that we can do to support the detoxification of fluoride so if we've had a 20 30 40 year history of using it consistently is it something that does store in the body or is it kind of like water soluble? And as soon as you stop using it, it's pretty much out of the system.
1: Oh, it stores in your body. Yes. (laughs) The, um, they estimate that the half-life of fluoride in bone, which is where a lot of it um, is stored is 20 years. So the fluoride that you're consuming today, half of it will still be in your bones 20 years from now. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's there over the long term. And there is a lot you can do to help detoxify it. Um, and I have a whole chapter in the book on my journey and like, the mistakes I made and the things I tried that I should not, you know, that didn't work for me. Um, but the one that I really focus on that I ended up relying on is iodine, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, an essential nutrient. Um, and it really fascinated me when I started looking at the history of iodine and the dietary requirements for iodine and how much we actually need. Um, So that is one that is very effective at displacing fluoride. They're right next to each other on the periodic table. They're both halogens and your body needs iodine pretty much in every cell. Um, So I suspect that's why it uptakes fluoride. And that's why fluoride is so dangerous because your body treats it as iodine when it's something different. Um, so iodine is a really good one for displacing fluoride, but you have to be really careful with it because for, especially for fluoride sensitive people, if you start taking a lot of iodine or you know, add it to your diet in, in different food sources, you're going to get bad acne and you're going to get a lot um, of other negative side effects, digestive issues. Um, So there's a way to do it. You really have to start slow. You need to prepare your body first with um, certain nutrients, uh, companion nutrients that help with assimilating iodine and then really ease into it. So um, I recommend iodine, but definitely with a big caveat that you do it the right way.
0: Yeah, I suspected that one was going to be involved. And I remember many years ago when I st- started off my health journey, I definitely didn't do it in the correct way. I just started off at like the full dosage. And then I got all of these like crazy sensations. My skin was broken out. It felt like I had crawling sensations under my skin. So it was like really detoxing um, something. But my my area has never been fluoridated. So it, was, it may be from food exposure. Um, and some people know that iodine or iodine can be an acne trigger. Um it, that could potentially be the cause, couldn't it, or the reason behind it's pushing out all of this stored up fluoride um, in the system. So yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but that is yes, it. I definitely, I definitely think
1: that's what's going on. And it's really interesting. I've heard from several people in the UK who are fluoride sensitive and have not been exposed to fluoridated water, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, is it? the tea, is it the air, since it's air pollution, you know, is it in the air
0: and they're being exposed? I really don't know. Um, but we drink a lot of tea. So that is potentially the reason. Yeah, maybe it's the tea. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There are certain areas like Birmingham. I know that Birmingham has quite a lot of, um, fluoride in the water. And I think they did a study that that area in particular had the lowest levels of, um, well, the highest levels of female infertility and the the issues with iq that you were saying with the children so um yeah it could be stemming from just cross-contamination from birmingham i'm in manchester so we're like near nearby cities so it could just be um that my water source isn't fluoridated but i'm getting it from other places but i'm definitely going to look into it um for myself my skin's pretty good now compared to what it has been in the past due to my work on hormones and gut health but i still feel like there's that missing puzzle piece um, that could be involved and i've been suspecting detoxification so i'm going to do my own little experiment and see if i can reduce things even more i'm already doing the fluoride free toothpaste but i'm not being as cautious with the food where that's coming from Mm. um where it's being manufactured so yeah i find this really interesting and i do want to finish up with just a few more questions. So the first one is: um, Is there a book on this subject or skin health that you'd recommend? Obviously, your own. I know that that is um, a great resource that I want people to look into. Is there any any other book that could be useful?
1: Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know of any other
0: books about fluoride
1: and acne. That's kind of a new idea. So, um, but as far as um, fluoride, there's a lot of good books just about the history of it and the science behind um, what it's actually doing to our bodies. The case against fluoride is, you know, written by um, Paul Connett and some, and um, some co-writers associated with the fluoride action network. So that's kind of like uh, the foundation of uh, fluoride uh, science right now. And then um, some books on iodine. I like uh, David, Dr. Brownstein has a, a great book on iodine, just explaining like the companion nutrients and um, and and how to uh, do the iodine supplementation. But I just, they, they don't gear it towards fluoride sensitivity. So okay. they definitely like jump in higher than than I was, way higher than I was able to handle or that I recommend for people who are fluoride sensitive. Um, and then Lynn Farrow also has a good book about iodine called The Iodine Crisis. So I found her book really interesting um again
0: going into the history of it and and the idea of uh, iodine supplementation just give us a bit more information about your book obviously it's going to go in deep in more detail on probably all of these different subjects that we covered
1: yes it's uh, it's called the hidden cause of acne um and it goes into um the history you know the, the science of you know how, how i figured out my connection but also um uh, just looking back at the history of acne research and reinterpreting that, knowing that fluoride can cause acne, trying to see the connections there, um, what is going on with fluoride and acne. And then the whole second half of the book is about how to identify fluoride um, in your diet, in your water supply, um, and in other things like I have a chapter on um, skincare, because I know people love it, <laughs> you know? So the things that really worked for me um, from a fluoride perspective, how to heal breakouts quickly, you know, what what is going to be the most effective way? Okay, so you, you consume some fluoride, you had a breakout, how can you get rid of it um, quickly? You know, knowing, um, knowing that fluoride causes acne and having that lymphatic theory to go off of, there are some things you can do to really help your body process process the fluoride more quickly. Um, and then the last chapter is all about iodine and how to add that in, when to add it in, and and uh, how to do it so that you don't have those negative reactions. Because I don't think um, when a lot of people talk about detoxification, they're like, oh, I'm just having a detox reaction. I'm just going to push through it. I don't think that's a good avenue um, with regard to acne. It's not going to make things better if you're having negative reactions from detoxifying. So
0: to do that without having
1: negative reactions
0: great yeah it's so important and it's always frustrating when you have a sensitivity to something and um, you get that immediate feedback from your skin but in the same note it's also empowering to know that okay maybe I'm gonna drink this bone broth I'll have this chicken soup I know that it's got fluoride in I'm probably gonna have a breakout tomorrow but I'm okay with that I'd rather that than not knowing what's causing my chronic cystic acne. Yeah, it was so
1: empowering to know. And, and in the beginning, I didn't know, is it causing all of my acne? Like some of my acne, I had no idea. And then as the more I went along and was able to just completely clear it, I felt like I was kind of dialing um, like a radio, you know, like really fine tuning. And now it's like amazing to me that I don't get any breakouts. And I know if I, like you said, if I want to eat this meal and it was prepared in a Florida place and it's like pasta, I really want it or something, you know, I know I will break out. Um, and it's like, I have that control. I can just completely control my skin, which is amazing to me. So many times when I was going through that 20 years of cystic acne, I was just like praying for like a list, like someone give me a list of like I wish I knew what was causing this. You know, I would just get rid of all of it. I don't care. And then it was, it was so weird to be printing out the cheat sheet for the chapter on my book about sources of fluoride. I was like, oh, this is that list that I like prayed for like 10 years ago when I was like really stuck in and trying to figure out what was going on. So um, it is very empowering to know what is causing your acne, even though it's a very tricky thing to get around. It's possible. It's definitely doable. So many people have done it. Um, so it just takes a little bit of adjustment in the beginning, and I've found that the food that I'm eating now is so much better than what I was eating before because you know I'm eating organic stuff, I'm eating fresh stuff, I'm eating whole real foods. I still have cereal, but I make it myself from like quinoa or buckwheat or something, and it's better than what I was eating before. You know, it's better than Cheerios. <laughs> so. Um, I, uh, I haven't really had to sacrifice to get rid of
0: fluoride in my diet. And that was going to be my second question. What's your go-to breakfast? So people are like, oh my God, I can't have my cereal anymore. Um, with my cup of tea on the side, Like, what is something that you um, have for breakfast um, most frequently?
1: Oh, I have a lot of different things. I mean, eggs and veggies are a good one. Or I will have yogurt and fruit. Um, I'd like if I want a grain you know I'll have like buckwheat or quinoa or something like that with fruit in it and then I love all the toppings I feel like I'm making a sundae you know (laughs) so I'll put like flaxseed and coconut and um, sesame seeds or maybe some almonds or something I just kind of pile it all in that's my my cereal now is to do something
0: like that so those are a a few good ideas with my morning smoothie i'm like have a pinch of that i feel like a witch around a cauldron just throwing in yeah <laughs> like these powders and potions but i love it
1: yeah oh i love smoothie. i'm really into herb um like having herb smoothies now because i have a big herb garden going so i'll take like some fennel some
0: tarragon some stevia and like frozen pineapple and like oh i love these herb smoothies they're <laughs> they're really good amazing and last question is well second to last what's something that you do every single day to stay in hormonal harmony so i think we know avoiding fluoride and um kind of taking care of your your skin in that way is a big one is there anything else that you do um exercise wise or meditation practice that keeps you healthy um like a daily practice well
1: I like yoga. I like saunas. I have um, a near infrared sauna that I like. I haven't been using it lately because it is so hot here and it's in my garage <laughs> where I moved to. So I feel like I'm in the sauna all yeah, the time. You but don't that's, need a, you don't um, need a it's like sauna. A, really helpful for me in getting through like that period where um I got it like after I had cleared my acne but I was trying to figure out iodine I was still breaking out a lot. So that was really helpful for me. I, I love that. Um I love going in the sauna. I love detox baths, my bathtub, you know, with like I'll throw in again it's like the, the cauldron. So <laughs> I'll throw in like magnesium Pace flakes and pencil oils oh. and some apple cider vinegar <laughs> and then like okay <laughs> just right. So I love that. Um, and I love food, like good, good food. I love gardening um, and growing my own food. And yeah, so those are- have so much in common.
0: Yeah. I love my baths. I love my food. And yeah, my sauna is right next to me folded away. It's a a lot cooler here in the Northwest of England than probably where you are. So I will probably be on my sauna mat later this afternoon.
1: Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. It is great when you're like, when I was living up north, I'm like,
0: oh, sauna sauna tie. I would be yeah. so excited. It's like the only time I was warm. Yeah. The <laughs> highlights of the day. Yeah. Very last question is, um, where can people find more from you online? So you mentioned your book, um, are you on social media? What's your website? Um, so the book is Hidden Cause of Acne and that's the website
1: too. Hiddencauseofacne.com. Um, you could go there to register for the 30-day challenge. It's free you just um, get an email every day and that's a good way to learn about the sources of fluoride. Best way is the book though, because I've tried to be very entertaining. Lots of jokes, lots of <laughs> um, it's it's a kind of might, you'll see my sense of humor come through with the book. Um, and then also the Facebook group um, is a really good way to share information with other people who are going through this trying at various stages, you know, either trying to figure out if fluoride is causing their acne or you know, and figure out how to eliminate it from their diet or they've cleared everything up and they're just there to help other people, which there's a lot of people doing that as well. Um, it's called fluoride free faces. You could probably just find it on Facebook um, that way. I have been not on social media for several months. I just don't check, but I am on there. And every now and then I'll go look, but Instagram, um, Twitter, and, and Facebook, I just haven't really been logging in, but you could reach me there. I'll, I'll try to go check now
0: in case. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll include all of these notes, uh, all these links in the episode show notes for people to go and check out. And even on your website, there's some amazing transformational pictures, isn't there, of like people before and after following some of your recommendations. Yeah. Yes, I was posting
1: um, the pictures that people would send, just so you can get a feel for you know this is a real thing that's that's affecting people, and you can see the progress. You know, it's not. I have all my pictures because I was documenting this just with my MacBook. I I was like, what's going on with my skin? So I, I took so many pictures, and then I realized later, like, wow, I really documented my whole journey. So you can go it's hiddencauseofacne.com/pics. And it just shows, you can see how long it took me to really figure it out and clear up my skin. But other people have done it much faster because they know. I just didn't know I was figuring it all out, but they can just, I've, men in particular seem to be able to clear up their skin pretty mm-hmm. quickly. They're, they're, some of them like two weeks, They're like, oh my God, it's all clear. Thank you. <laughs>
0: So the same with like weight loss and all of these other things. Right, I don't know what's going Do two little things and they're completely back to normal, whereas women are a little bit more right. complex.
1: <laughs> yes, and then teenage females, it seems to be especially difficult. Teenagers in general, I think it's harder. It takes longer. I'm not sure if it's because. Of hormones or why, but it's t- it's it takes longer. So just depending on where you are, what's going on with your body, it could be quick or it could take several months um or longer if it you know if you're really exposed to a lot of fluoride. So but yeah, the pictures are really helpful just to get an idea of of how it worked for other people.
0: And I really think this is gonna be a really valuable um podcast episode for the listeners because a lot of them are already doing all the right things, at least in the paleo diet using non-toxic products, but this could be a missing puzzle piece. So I just know that there's going to be, um, so many grateful listeners.
1: Yes. The paleo diet is, is great. And and that's something that I think like in the book, I, I go through those studies and show like not only were they reducing, um, sugar but they were also reducing fluoride and they just Mm -hmm. didn't know it like the paleo diet gets you so close because you avoid a lot of the things that normally contain fluoride but it's not quite there because there's still a lot of fluoride that could get in depending on um, what products you're choosing and what water you're drinking and things like that so i hope it will be um the missing piece for a lot of people and i I would love to hear from you if you uh try it and and let me know how it goes
0: Yeah. Give Melissa a message if that is the case. And yeah, thank you for your time and sharing your story and helping so many women. Um, And hopefully there's going to be some more women with clear skin after listening to this episode.
1: That would be great. Thanks for spreading the word about fluoride.
0: I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review, and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides, which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss, or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.